They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Elliot, we we forgot to establish what we're going to banter about. So I hope you oh, have I something. Know. There yeah, you yeah, yeah. I have something. Absolutely. I firstly, I wanted to ask: Have you been? See- I keep. I haven't watched any of these trailers, but have you seen that there's like a Godzilla TV show coming out soon? Yeah, exclusively on Apple TV Plus, which pretty much guarantees that no one's going to watch it. I haven't watched the trailers, but it looks. Like, just the photos and, like, the concept sounds so stupid and terrible. <laughs> yeah, because it's, like, Amazing. it's not even really about, like, kaiju, is it? It's about just m- the formation of Monarch or some such nonsense. Yeah, I think Godzilla might show up in it at some point. But, yeah, it's very silly. Is that it? Very silly. Well, also, did you see the new trailer for Nathan Fielder's new thing? It got a full trailer. No, I'm not really interested in that. Dude, it looks so it looks really good. Emma Stone's in it. It looks amazing. Nathan Fielder looks like he's genuinely acting, like he's not just playing a Nathan Fielder sort of character. He's playing like a human being with emotions. I'm pretty excited for it. I might have to get like a month of Showtime or something because I really want to watch it. Dude, I do not like the trend of you know, streaming platform exclusive movies. Like we were just talking about being unable to watch the Kane Mutiny Court Martial because it's locked to Showtime. And I understand that these platforms are like trying to buy themselves some prestige, trying to make themselves the one-stop shop for all your entertainment needs. But what about my needs? What about my need to not waste money on Showtime just to watch a single movie and then never touch it again? Huh? Yeah. Well, I think that's the real issue is that they, none of them can become your one-stop shop for entertainment because There's so gosh dang many of them now that all of them are going to have at least one or two things that you're interested in seeing or that you want to um, be able to watch. So, Well, like, why not? So the Kane Mutiny Court Martial, that was never released in theaters. It went straight to Showtime, which maybe Showtime or whatever company manages that doesn't have the money to pay for a theatrical release, even a limited one that seems unlikely, but that might be the case. But then what I really don't understand is not, not giving these movies a physical release. Like again, even just a limited one, just having a few copies at the Blu-ray rack at Walmart 
How much could that possibly cost? And then I could rewatch the tragedy of Macbeth, which is currently locked yeah. in uh, Apple TV Plus purgatory. Could watch the K Mutiny Court Martial. Could do all kinds of things. Why do co- corporations only care about their bottom line and not about me specifically? That's my question. Yeah, that is super frustrating though, because I had completely forgotten. Yeah, that tragedy of Macbeth never got a physical release. A lot of Netflix movies, like I don't think White Noise, Noah Baumbach's newest movie, is ever going to get a physical release. I don't think Klaus, which is on Netflix, which I know a lot of people love, is probably never getting a physical release. There's probably other Netflix movies. But yeah, very frustrating. Anyway, one last thing before we get into our discussion of the movie. Next week, just letting all of our listeners know, next week, Martin Scorsese's new film, The Killers of the Flower Moon, comes out. So be sure to block off. It's a it's a lengthy film. It's a lengthy piece of movie. <laughs> it's three and a half hours long. So block off a bit of your schedule. You're going to want to see this. It's going to be amazing. We're probably not going to go to it in time to talk about it on next week's episode. But we'll probably bring it up uh, the week after that, I'd imagine. We're going to try and get to it, I think. Yeah, and then it'll, then watch it while you can, because after it's done with it, done in theaters, it's going to be stuck on Apple TV+. Plus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I don't think Apple has, because Netflix has been bringing some of its exclusive movies to the Criterion Collection. So like Wildlife, Mank, The Irishman, All of those got physical releases through Criterion, but I don't think Apple TV does. Although I want to say Coda got a physical release. I feel like I saw Coda getting stuff. So maybe if it's big enough, they'll give it one. Although, yeah, the fact they didn't give Tragedy of Macbeth one seems to imply this one doesn't have great odds. Well, it's interesting from like, I know where we're supposed to be talking about the movie now, but it's interesting from a, preservation standpoint like this is actually a conversation that happens in the video game space of like always online games or games that just get digital releases will then cease to exist eventually once these servers turn off or the company stops supporting it so like is it possible that the tragedy of Macbeth or the Kane mutiny court martial or any number of these movies will just be lost to time. I think that would be a real tragedy of because <laughs> tragedy of Macbeth joke. Good, good one. Yeah. Well, and that's, that was a conversation that a lot of people were having when HBO max was like cutting all of this stuff off of, cause I want to say they cut, didn't they remove like Westworld or something ridiculous like that from HBO max. And then suddenly it was, Either you had the physical version of Westworld or you could no longer watch Westworld at all. And I think there were some like animated shows that they cut that never got a physical release. And then suddenly you just can't watch this unless you find some way to pirate it or something, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's an interesting topic. Send us your thoughts uh, at our at our fan mail address, which is. Uh, Nathan Mogolines at gmail.com. Anyway, all right, let's let's talk about the movie we're here to talk about today. I chose it, so I'll introduce it. This is 
1995's Before Sunrise, the first film in the Before trilogy. It was followed by Before Sunset, I think nine years after this, and then nine years after that, Before Midnight. It's uh, Richard Linklater, who are more casual movie fans might remember as the guy who made that movie that took 12 years to make, came out like, I guess, eight or nine years ago at this point. But very talented director, very acclaimed director for more than just this movie. What are you making a face for? He is acclaimed. Are you, are you not going to say what the name of that movie was? Are you just going to make people guess? Oh. Well, I didn't think a lot of it's boyhood in case you needed the name. I figured most people would have just heard of it as that movie that took 12 years to make and not seen much else from it. I don't. OK, whatever. Let's let's keep moving. Anyway, so this is, uh, before sunrise, fairly simple plot. A guy and a woman are on a train to Paris, and the guy has to get off in Vienna. They have one meal together, and then as he's getting off the train, he comes and asks her to stay the night with him in Vienna and just kind of walk around Vienna and hang out with him because he likes her, and so he wants to spend more time with her. So she does. And then they have the whole night or as much time as there is before sunrise, hence the title. It's a very acclaimed film. It's on a lot of like best of the 90s lists and best of, you know, I want to say it's on a lot of best movies of all time. It crops up quite a bit. But yeah, I chose it because I watched it um, a few years ago. And I remember enjoying it, but I think since I had watched it, I had thought about it more and kind of grown to have a greater appreciation for it. So I wanted to revisit it on this podcast, as well as I really wanted to know what Elliot thinks, because Elliot, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think you're really a huge fan of romance movies. I can't remember a romance movie that you've ever been like, yeah, I love this one, of which I would say this is in that genre, as well as it's a very talky movie. Most of the film is just Ethan Hawke and Julia Delpy. Del- I don't know how to pronounce French names, so I'm going to butcher that last name. Apologies. But most of the movie is just them like talking in various Vienna locations. So, yeah, Elliot, why don't you give us your, your opening thoughts on the movie? Well, I don't know why you think I don't like talking movies. I am perfectly fine with movies that are just about people talking, as long as they're talking about interesting things or talking about it in an interesting way. It's true. I think we've actually talked about this before, not on this podcast, but just in day-to-day life, that I don't like romances, or at least that I can't think of one, aside from Casablanca, that I really, really enjoy. And even Casablanca is not, like, strictly a romance. Like, there's a lot of other stuff going on in Casablanca. I would say it's probably because I generally... It's not that I dislike happy endings. It's that happy endings kind of make me more sad than not happy endings because I just sort of like go, I just sort of think, Oh yeah, that's, that's not how that would happen in real life. Real life doesn't really, doesn't really work like that. And I, I just think that sometimes happy endings aren't earned. Like they just, happy endings kind of come pretty cheaply. And I think it takes, it should take a little bit more work than that. 
But you don't need to know about why I'm, I'm so depressed all the time. The point is that this movie didn't necessarily have a lot of a lot of stuff to recommend it to me going in. And I have to say, I'm conflicted. Because this is the kind of movie that is so about one specific thing, that is so focused on one specific thing, that it, it's, it, it lives or dies on the characters. Because this is about two characters having this intense personal connection and if you don't get along with those characters, if you don't find them very compelling, then this movie's not going to do it for you. And I'm not crazy about the characters. I thought that the dialogue, like the the writing, the write the written dialogue could sometimes be just kind of stale and flat. I thought that the characters themselves weren't the most three-dimensional or sketched out that I've ever seen, which in some contexts would make sense, but I think in the context of two people like having a soul-level connection, I think not having a pair of really well-thought-out, well-realized, well-defined characters, that is something that is going to hurt this movie more than in other movies because this movie is so much about these two characters and why slash how they find this connection. And I just like, I, I don't love the characters and there's, but there's like other things that I enjoy and sometimes some of their interactions are, are fine. Like, I don't know. This is a slice of life movie. I feel like, but it's a very specific slice of life, and I feel like if you don't have a lot of overlapping experience with this particular slice, then the movie's going to struggle a little bit more. So I'm just I'm just kind of in limbo right now. There I don't know if I didn't connect with this movie because the characters aren't well realized, or because I just don't have this kind of experience, or if the story just isn't all that interesting, there, there's there's something that was missing from it for me, but not so much that I was like annoyed or frustrated or I it would make me think that this movie is bad. I I don't know. It, it, it's I, it's very hard to describe. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's try and get into some of the nitty gritty details of the movie and let's try and flesh out. Uh, both, you know, your feelings on the movie and my feelings on the movie. You know, let's do kind of a podcast-style review of this film. <laughs> I think before we get into anything, I, I want to just start with, uh, I think the technical elements of this movie are fairly in the background. It's really just a showcase for the two actors and the dialogue. There's a lot of really impressive oneers that are very, very long, which is just an sh unbroken shot. Um, there's one where they get on a tram, and it's it's got to be like six, seven minutes of just the camera facing them as they have this conversation on the tram until they get off of it. And it's I, I think it really serves to 
highlight some of the things that you're talking about, that this movie really does live or die on its characters and its dialogue. And I think a less confident director or a less confident writer might try to do some funky technical things or some funky camera moves to bolster those things if he was nervous that, right, the characters wouldn't work, the dialogue wasn't going to be good enough. And instead, Richard Linklater just, you know, shoots from the belt. He go sticks to his gut. It's very simple. And I, I think the movie is better for it. I think the movie would be worse if it had a bunch of silly little camera tricks. I think it... So, just to begin with, I think the technical elements help this movie by not being super flashy and taking away from what the movie is trying to showcase. Yeah, I agree. I noticed that it was that there were not that this movie would probably have a below average number of cuts in its cinematography. Very often, like you said, it would just sit the camera down, aim it at the actors' faces, and just let them go at it, acting wise and recitation wise. And that's that's def. I think yeah, this movie is like laser-focused on these two people and their dynamic and their connection, and it doesn't want anything to get in the way with that. Like, there's no... Like you said, there's no fancy camera camera work flourishes. Um, the lighting, the color grading, it's all very naturalistic. There's barely any music, except for, like, I think at the beginning and at the end, and maybe a little bit here and there in the middle. So, yeah, it's... Mm -hmm. I. It's not necessarily impressive. Like, it's it's not something that you look at and you're like, well, it looks so cool, or I wonder how they did that. But it's, it is still skillful in the sense that it makes sense for the movie that it's in. And it's contributing to the visual language is contributing to the actual language of the dialogue and the story and that kind of stuff. So no complaints there. No notes. Lovely stuff, everyone. That's the only other thing to talk about in this movie, and what I'm assuming is going to be the bulk of the stuff, is the two characters and the writing. So Ethan Hawke plays Jesse and, oh gosh, Julia Delpy. Delpy? It's, there's no way it's pronounced like that, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Plays Celine. And I think, and I thought this when I first saw this movie, and on rewatch, I thought this even more. I think all of the little ways the writing serves to, like, give us a window into both of these characters is so fantastic. And the way they, like, figure out how to communicate better, even just in the course of the night that they're together, I think is fascinating, that there's moments where you can see... I, one of the specific moments for me was early or earlier in the night, Jesse and Celine are sitting at a table and a, a palm reader comes up and reads Celine's palm. And after she leaves, Jesse is, like, very dismissive and like cynical towards the palm reader that he's like, that's so stupid. You wasted your money. That's so ridiculous. And Celine is kind of like, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with it. Like you're kind of being a, a, you know, a rude person about this little thing. 
And then later in the night, they encounter a homeless guy who writes a poem for them. And they give him some money after he writes this poem. And as they're walking off, Jesse starts to do like the same exact thing that he says, you know, he probably didn't write that poem on the spot. He probably already had it kind of canned and he just added this word that we randomly chose to it. And he starts to do that. But then he stops himself. And I think it's such a fascinating, like tiny thing where you can see this growth with him that he was initially very cynical and like was very honest and just spoke his mind. And now he's calibrating a bit that he's like, oh, she that annoys her. That's something that she doesn't like. So I'm not going to do that now later on. And they do kind of a similar thing when they start arguing about uh, it's not feminism exactly, but they start kind of arguing about women. And there's a point where they both are like, okay, this is pointless. And I just think it, I think there's a lot of really little details in the writing that serves to not just showcase who the characters are, but showcase how they learn and like develop over the course of the night of figuring out just kind of each other and their dynamic together. Uh, okay. That's, I mean, (laughs) I can, I didn't notice that I can see it. I guess the thing is, like, and this might end up being my refrain throughout this episode, is why should I care? Because in order for the audience, or at least for me, to care about a character and be invested in their relationships and their struggles in what's on the screen, you need to have some kind of, like, connection with them, uh through like a personal struggle that they face or even just them being generally likable or having some kind of experiential overlap with them. And I guess I just kind of don't like, Hmm. so then all of this stuff becomes fairly academic. Like I noticed that and I'm like, yeah, okay. But I noticed it in the same way I would, I notice and appreciate it in the same way I would if somebody told me, like, if somebody used this as an example in a psychology textbook or, like, a a self-help textbook about how to communicate better. And this was an example in it. I think that I have the same sort of connection and investment in it that I'm just, like, it only exists to demonstrate that, but the characters themselves are are just kind of ancillary to that. And that's that doesn't fully fit with this movie. Like, that's a little bit harsher than the way I actually feel, but that's the way I I that's the way I, I think I can articulate it as clearly as possible that it's just an exercise in purely intellectual or analytical what noticing things uh because i don't have the emotional connection because the characters i don't know like they're kind of this is this is very hard to explain but they kind of feel like they were given traits and stories and experiences and outlooks by 
going to a character generator online. Like, somebody just typed, somebody just made a website where you could say, generate a character, and it will generate a few experiences for them, a few, uh, some, like, philosophical outlooks, some uh, physical traits, uh, some wardrobe things, and then you have your character. And I think that that's, I think that that's why these characters didn't really speak to me, is because they don't feel like, they don't feel like natural, cohesive people. Especially since, so the perfect example for this, and the, you'll have to excuse me if I'm a little bit more rambly in this episode or a little bit more halting because I'm thinking of a lot of this on the fly, that the perfect example for this would be Jesse has this story that I tell Celine where he's like, I, uh, my, I remember when I first learned about death, when my great-grandmother died, uh, mm-hmm. and I was, I was playing with the hose and it created a, a garden hose. And it, and the water was creating this mist. And through the mist, I could see my grandmother. She was just smiling at me. So then I went and told my parents, and they sat me down. They were like, you're never going to see her again. She's dead. Death is nothing but a black ink <laughs> void. So that's, that's out, kid. It was pretty harsh, but whatever. But then, but he says, like, I know what I saw. That's it. The, I understood what they were saying, but I know what I saw. But then he goes on to be decidedly secular in his outlook. Like, he dismisses the idea of souls, he dismisses the idea of reincarnation, he dismisses the idea of this palm reader. So those things don't really jive with each other, which contributes to the Mm. feeling that character traits and experiences were just kind of assigned to these two at random. Like, they were just thinking, here are some things that people experience, here are some things that people think, uh, and we'll give them to these characters but they don't gel into something that feels very human because humans are certainly chaotic. They certainly have a lot of contradictions, but they do generally have an organic, unless they, they do generally, I sound like a complete sociopath, like talking about humans in this way, but people in my experience do kind of have a, an organic cohesiveness to their identity that these two characters don't really have. I would say Celine probably has it a little bit better than Jesse because she's a little bit more consistent, but still the way that they talk about these things and the way that they just kind of bring them up out of nowhere and then talk about them in a kind of analytical intellectual way just all contributes to the feeling that they're the characters are just a conglomeration of traits and facts and experiences that the writers thought of and not really, and there's no like cohesive unifying thread that coalesces into a real feeling holistic person. I think it's interesting that you highlighted Jesse in that and I feel kind of bad because I feel like we're gonna end up talking about Jesse more than Celine in this episode because I would strongly disagree with your assessment of Jesse one of the reasons I wanted to revisit this movie 
is because the more I thought about this trilogy as a whole and Jesse in this movie specifically, the more I was like, dang, he does a lot of things that I do. And I think the characterization of him is so compelling for me because he's like you said, he's got this story about his grand, his great grandmother, and he's clearly got kind of an intuition of, you know, spirituality of something greater than, but he's also very cynical. And I love how the movie plays with these kind of what I see as kind of warring sides to him that he's very analytical. He's trying to be very intelligent. He's trying to be very logical about everything. But when the chips are down, there's a lot of things that you can't be like that for. I think one of one of my favorite examples is when they're up on the Ferris wheel and he, you know, asks her to kiss him and he's like, we have to. And then when they're down on the ground, they're like seeing couples. And I think he says something dismissive about like romance or love. And Celine, I love this, that she calls him out. She's like, oh, really, Mr. Up at the Ferris wheel? Oh, it's so beautiful. You have to kiss me, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's, it, I definitely relate to that idea of like, I can be very cynical and analytical and logical. And then like, it comes to a more personal thing. And suddenly that's not how I feel. Like I can make a lot of, and I think a lot of people can kind of feel like this, which is probably why a lot of um, like film nerds who are guys gravitate to this movie and to this kind of trilogy is because I think we can kind of have a sense of, we tell a lot of dark jokes. We make a lot of, we make light of a lot of things that maybe don't necessarily need to be light. You're making a face, like, where's he going with this? But I think then when like the chips are down and when it's a more personal thing, suddenly we flip. And it's not that we're inconsistent. I mean, we're a little inconsistent. We're kind of being hypocrites. But I think it's also because it's a very modern thing to be very analytical and logical but then that kind of falls apart like there's no way to analytically and logically right tell a woman hey i want to spend this night with you in vienna like that's not an analytical logical thing that's an emotional thing and i think jesse's fascinating because you can see him trying to be more in touch with his emotions is how i kind of see it and so i yeah, I I think I would disagree. I don't think Jesse is a random grab bag of personalities. I think he's a very, very human character. And I think the writing and Ethan Hawke's performance especially does an amazing job of conveying this person who I see as kind of having this competing desire to be analytical and logical and very intelligent and come across as all of those things. But then also like being a human being and having emotions and then wanting those emotions to be like justified and like proven, I guess. See, like I totally get that. Like as you were talking, I absolutely could see every part of what you were talking about and I could see, I could see it in the movie and like I, that is also something that I would relate to that. I'm very cynical and very jaded and sort of like, well, it doesn't matter. We don't need to talk about it. Um, but <laughs> I think the, the thing is that like for people like that, or I guess I'll, I'll, I'll say for people, for me, it's that 
you kind of want to be more uh, optimistic and more romantic, for lack of a better word, but you feel like you can't be. Like, you feel sort of like that's that's dangerous, that's not a good idea, that's like, that's not intelligent, or it's, it's just not a good idea. And so there rises from that a very intense and emotional conflict between what you want to believe and what you feel like you have to believe. Like, you feel like you have to believe that palm readers are grifters and street poets are charlatans, but you want to believe in the more romantic uh, version of the world where these things are just natural and people are more, are, are just better than that. And I guess I would say I don't really feel that conflict. I, I Unlike Luke Skywalker, I don't feel the conflict within him. And the thing is, Good like, reference. here's where we're going to get into really meta territory. Like, I think that is realistic. I think that is absolute. that absolutely you would not see that conflict. Certainly not in the first night where these two, these two are spending time with each other. You would not see that conflict. You would not see that desire for a romantic personal connection, but a fear of what opening yourself up to that would entail so that is realistic and that is natural but i don't think it works for a movie i think i in contrast to real life i have a much more romantic more intimate more personal more sort of like just generally grand conception of movies that movies are not supposed to and indeed should not perfectly mirror what would happen in real life at least not all the time and i think that in this example in this instance in this particular instance in this particular film i don't think that was the right way to go i don't think the naturalistic way was the way to go because again it returns to something very analytical like i have to psychoanalyze this character to get these things because they are so realistically subtle and hidden behind layers of psychology psychology so i don't i understand that and i understand how someone would find that very moving and have such a deep connection to that for me personally i think it is too realistic which i know is a very strange kind of silly criticism to have of a movie and in order to fully articulate it, I think we would have to explain, like, just my artistic paradigm uh, of storytelling, which we obviously don't have time for. So I'm yeah. hoping that you just kind of feel me on this one. Yeah, uh, and I think that's fair. I do kind of want, I want to talk about, again, we haven't really talked about Celine very much. Obviously, we are both uh, guys, so we're going to relate to and connect with more the male lead than the female lead. But I think Celine's kind of, in this movie, she's more along for the ride than necessarily that much. I mean, again, the actress is doing a fantastic job, and the writing is once again doing a lot to help communicate 
who Celine is, that she's a much more romantic person. She's much more in tune with her emotions than Jesse is. She's much more willing to see the good in other things. But I think the next movies in the trilogy do a lot better job as well as the actress starts. Um, I can't remember if they helped, if they were ad-libbing for this one, but I know in the next two, Ethan Hawke, the two leads start like ad-libbing or improving quite a bit of their dialogue, so much so that I think on the third one, they're credited as screenwriters on the film. And that might be true for the second one as well. But I, I think Celine is very interesting. And I think the most or one of the best things that this movie does is conveying this emotion of liking a person and being unsure of how forward to be with that emotion that they both know obviously very early on that they like each other because right as soon as she decides to get off the train clearly she doesn't hate him clearly she's feeling some sort of emotion towards him but there's so many scenes where you can see both of them trying to figure out how honest to be about what they're feeling and they kind of have to use a bit of a workaround, which I think a lot of people do actually do in the cafe scene where they both play act calling. Also, do all Europeans do phones like this using their pinky and their pointer finger? Because Ethan Hawke did the normal one of pinky and thumb because that looks like a thumb, like a phone. Celine did like the rock on sign, which is does not look like a phone in my opinion, but whatever. But they, they use this as a way to kind of talk about how they feel about each other without having to directly address the other person, which little immature, but they're in their 20s. So people do be immature in their 20s. But I just think in terms of conveying this sort of thing, and you can also see it in uh, the scene when they say goodbye at the train station, that both of them are waiting because both like they've kind of made this agreement that they're not going to try and see each other again because they don't think it's going to work out because it's not realistic to think that, you know, this ridiculous one night thing could turn into something meaningful. But they both want it to and neither of them know, like they neither of them really wants to be the first one to put themselves out there and say something vulnerable. Uh, if the other person is going to be like, no, that's stupid. I don't want to do that. And I just, I think the movie does a great job. There's other scenes too, where you can see them both trying to figure out how honest they want to be with each other, which I think is just another thing that the movie does really well. I think if you told someone the concept for the movie, you would think that it's going to be a very schmaltzy, cloying sort of affair. But I think the movie as it stands is, and, you know, you already said it's kind of a con for you, but I think it's very realistically and tastefully done to where it never feels like I'm watching something that's really stupid or unbelievable. It's all, I think, just riding a line where I'm like, eh, that could happen. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I mean, yeah, I again, I, I see all of this. I understand it. I I believe that it is in the film that it is intentional. It's it's just that I don't really I don't really connect with it because I don't know, maybe I just need a layer of unreality in order to connect with things that are fictional because like 
without that, I'm just too aware that this isn't real, this isn't happening, this never happened, uh, all these people are just pretending, and so, I don't know, I just can't, like, I just can't get into it. I mean, let's not, we should probably stop trying to psychoanalyze me and my whole reason for being we, the way I'm that I am. I'm not doing anything. What? Why are you saying we? I'm not psychoanalyzing. This is you. I keep, I talk about the movie and then I dump it to you and you're like, I don't know, man. I'm thinking about my artistic paradigm. You're critiquing like the way you critique movies. It's fascinating well, I, to me. And I want you to keep doing it. Well, I just want to make sure that I just want to ground. I just, I just want what I'm saying to make sense. And in order for it to make sense, I think there are certain things that you have to understand. But like, yeah, I don't know. I agree that Celine is probably more along for the ride than than Jesse is. Like, she's kind of playing off of Jesse more than they are having a like egalitarian interaction. Only a bit more. Like, it's not like she's a completely ancillary character and she only exists in the context of Jesse. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, I just, like, there's just something, there's something in the way, some kind of, like, invisible barrier between me and this film that I can't seem to penetrate. And it feels wrong to then, like critique the movie for it aside from the things i do still believe that the characters aren't very well sketched out and that the route they took with that the more naturalistic route kind of hampers the ability for me slash the audience or i mean this is a critically acclaimed film so probably just me to to connect with it but as i keep on saying i can only rate a movie based on my experience of it. I can't rate it based on someone else's experience of it. And there's only so much that like objective quality can warrant, at least for me. But again, that's part of my whole artistic paradigm. So again, like we just keep, I'm just so conflicted about this movie. Like, I just don't know what to think about it because there, there are so few things that I can, that I can point out as being, flawed or like badly done it's just that yeah this movie's whole raison d'etre for me doesn't work like the the fundamental aspects of it i just don't think make for good movies like and it's so weird because like if somebody told me this story if like at a at a party or something, I was talking to a couple and they told me this story for like how they met. I know Nathan's making a face. Cause like you don't go to parties, um, but so, in a hypothetical situation where I decide to go to a party for some reason, and I meet a couple there and they tell me this story for how they, how they met. I'll be like, wow, what a great story. That's such a cool thing for you guys. But in fiction world, I'm just like, seeing it for myself i'm like yeah i don't i don't really connect with this so i i don't know i'm mm. this is this whole thing has just been way too meta for me yeah well and you're not giving me a lot i i just have to keep ignoring what you say and i know just saying my thoughts well and i i do and we've talked about this before right that the only way you can review a movie is based on your own emotions uh, with it but i think with that 
And I want to say we talked about this in maybe the eighth grade episode that sometimes you do have to do some like effort to be like, okay, I've got to put myself in these shoes and I've got to like, you have to do some emotional work to get yourself into the movie. And then once you do that, the movie's like a lot better for having done that. I'm not saying that's what you need to do with this movie, but I'm just saying that's sometimes a thing that can happen. Um, I don't have a lot else to say in terms of my thoughts. I've actually kind of come up on this movie a bit just in talking about it. That, But I think as a whole, this movie just has so many scenes that I just like love to watch that I think the dialogue is so well done. I could watch a much longer version of this movie, I think. I think the crown jewel of this movie, in my opinion, is the scene in the cafe, the opening, like establishing shots where it shows all of the other people in the cafe. I think it's such a beautiful, like Richard Linklater is constantly obsessed with the way the tiny moments in our lives make up our lives and how they don't matter when we're living them. But then as soon as they're kind of in the past, they become a big deal to us. That's kind of the idea behind boyhood, I think. And I think the open, the establishing shots of the cafe is such an amazing version of this, that it's all of these other people who have come to these cafe through their lives for whatever reason they're in there. We even get to hear like little snippets of their conversations. And then we get to, right, the characters were following and they have this great conversation, like I said, where they kind of address how they feel about each other through this device, which again, little immature, but we'll we'll let it slide they're kind of working <laughs> they're working through some stuff but i think that scene is uh the piece de resistance for to use another french saying like my esteemed brother already has but yeah just as a whole i just really like this movie it's a lot of fun i think there's a lot of oh also they are legit garbage at pinball that scene where they're talking while playing pinball they're swapping after like two hits. These guys suck at pinball. This It's embarrassing. I have to assume that they just set up the camera and just shot Ethan Hawke and Julie uh, playing pinball. So the actors just genuinely are terrible at pinball. But I, I kept getting distracted because every time they swapped, I was like, you just got a turn. What are you doing? Sure, whatever. Um, as long as we're talking about random things that we were confused about. Celine, at some point, when they're talking about things that really annoy them, that really, really get them, get them ticked off, she says that she hates that there's a war going on 300 kilometers from here, and nobody cares, and I cannot for the life of me think what she's referring to. In 95, 300 kilometers away from Vienna, what is she talking about? Nathan, do you have any idea? <laughs> I don't know. Was there something going on? And it'd have to be in Eastern Europe or something, right? That there would be something in like Ukraine. I I have no idea. You're the history major. Why are you asking? Well, me? I'm gonna Google it. 1995 oh boy. European War. So the thing that the thing that there's a few things that come up, but the one that is most common is the Bosnian War, which is an ethnically rooted um, conflict. Yes. In the former Republic of Yugoslavia. I'll be honest. I didn't say it before you said it, so I'm not going to get points for it because you can just say I'm lying. But I was going to say it could be 
the Yugoslav like Yugoslavia falling apart or Yugoslavia something. You're lying. I don't believe you. Dang it! <laughs> um. Wow. Do you have any other uh, kind of closing thoughts, or have you coalesced into a rating? Yeah, I've I've decided on a rating. I guess we can we can do that. I like. I know that I've not actually talked a lot about this movie. Um, I'm just trying to just trying to make you understand. Like I'm just trying to have our own communication here, audience, where you understand why I didn't connect with this movie. And so, like, this is the most subjective rating that I think I've ever given to a movie. Like, I'm not even rating this movie. I'm just rating how I felt <laughs> while watching it. Because um, the movie itself, probably, pro because of its, like, it, the objective artistry and craft and talent behind it would probably warrant something a lot higher than what I'm about to give it. But my personal subjective experience of it was that the characters didn't feel very fleshed out and they felt kind of randomly assorted. And I don't think that a naturalistic story was the story to tell here because it's too subtle and too fine grained. All of the 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 uh, dynamics and components of it are too fine to really stand out in a long-form fictional visual narrative. So, and just my lack of ability to connect with this, I, I, my experience of it was a, a C movie. Like, just a, a movie that was right in the middle, that just, like, went down, that went down easy, that I didn't have any particular problem with, but that I just didn't really connect with for whatever reason well exact opposite here i'd have to say for just the subtle fine-grained way of storytelling just a fantastically realistic and well done naturalistic writing and shooting no i i really enjoyed this movie quite a bit i liked it when i first watched it i think i like it more now not a huge amount more but a decent amount more now than when I first watched it. I think it's fantastically acted. It's beautifully written. It is such a fantastic again, like I said, it's not cloying. It's not super schmaltzy. It's not going to make you... It's not like a Hallmark movie. This is a well done story. I love watching it. I'm going to give it an 8.2 out of 10. I guess I didn't mention any negatives, but... Like, not every moment of the movie is as beautifully poetic and, like, romantic as every other moment of the movie, I guess. I don't really have any compelling negatives for it. I just... There's better versions of this movie. Namely, Before Sunset. Well, there you go. That all probably didn't make any sense, and the audience is... For me, I mean. The audience is probably scratching their heads, and I've lost all credibility. So, while we still have them, uh, let's talk about recommendations i'll go first um i chose a movie that also isn't really one that i would typically get along with because uh charlie kaufman is involved and i don't like charlie kaufman at all but my pick is eternal sunshine of the spotless mind this is a movie isn't it directed by spike jones yeah yes yeah um it's a movie about 
these two people who are in a relationship, can't even remember their name, but it's Jim Carrey in a uh, unusual dramatic role for him and Kate Winslet who get into a relationship and then it falls apart and they go to this service that will eliminate memories of people from your mind. Uh, so if you have a falling out with someone or if somebody like tried to kill you or something and you just don't want to think about it anymore, you can go to these people, wipe it out, good to go. So the bulk of the movie actually takes place in Jim Carrey's mind as he kind of like has a change of heart and tries to evade the dis mind-destroying technique or memory-destroying technique technology and going back through these moments of his relationship and analyzing or kind of realizing what was going on and what he should have said, what he wish he had said. So it's a very humanistic movie. It's a movie about human connection and re human relationships and how those things uh, come about and fall apart and the regrets that people have. It's very good. It's very, uh, it's like a, it's very bittersweet. Um, there are a lot of romantic moments, but they're all kind of in service of the story about these romantic moments that in the end just weren't enough. Um, and that compelled him to take the step and make this decision. Uh, it's got Elijah Wood in it in a really weird role. <laughs> It doesn't matter. Don't even know why I mentioned that. Probably just because of his connection to Lord of the Rings. And I, I'm just a moth to the fly when it comes to things related to Lord of the Rings. But yeah, it's a really good movie. Really interesting premise. Very well done. Great performances. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to say whether it, hasn't hap whether it has a happy ending or not. You'll have to watch it and find out. But uh, even if it doesn't, even if you, you don't go in for movies with without happy endings, or if you don't go in for movies with happy endings, like me, there's still enough there to get you feeling feelings, get you crying tears, uh, get you thinking about thoughts. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally rambling, but this is a good movie. Uh, you should watch it. And it is also about a very deep personal human connection between two people. Wow, that was that was actually a really good uh, write up for Eternal. That kind of made me want to rewatch Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I enjoyed it when I first saw it. I haven't seen it in a while, yo. Um, my recommendation is going to be my favorite romantic movie of all time. It's in my top fifty movies, I've rewatched it like four times in the last year. I want to say. And that is Rob Reiner's When Harry Met Sally. This movie is an absolute banger. It is so good. It It's a rom-com, but it is so much better than every other rom-com I've ever seen. Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan are fantastic. It's incredibly well-written. It's so amazingly well-acted. There's so many fantastic little moments. And it is just like mind boggling to me how good this movie is at communicating two people falling in love and doing it in a way that doesn't feel stupid or unrealistic or making me when the classic rom-com happy ending happens, making me be like, Oh, they're going to break up in two years. Like this movie sells me on Harry and Sally so hard. It's so funny. <sighs> It is so good. I love this movie. Um, I think it does a lot of the same things well that this movie does well, that Before Sunrise does well, that it's 
very well written. It has a very realistic understanding of human relationships and humans in relationships, and especially the way they talk and the way they communicate. It's so good. I love this movie. Yeah, you should check it out. I want to say it might be on Netflix. If not, I own it, so you can come to my apartment and we can watch it together. Wow, that definitely sounds like you're luring people to your apartment so you can kill them. It is on Netflix. I actually saw it uh, yesterday when I was scrolling through Netflix and remarked on, oh yeah, I watched that movie. I don't remember... I didn't really leave a huge impact on me. I don't remember loving it. I don't remember disliking it. Um, I remember just thinking that it was kind of a standard rom-com. Nathan obviously feels like that is the furthest thing possible from the truth. Uh, so I, I would give this like a a a soft um, second uh, for this movie. It's definitely worth watching. But yeah, listen, guys. It doesn't matter if you're in love or not. It doesn't matter if you find someone on a train and you know shoot the breeze i just said you know that's terrible i was really close to getting through this entire episode without saying it find someone on a train get off in a romantic city maybe vienna maybe prague maybe venice just have a great time none of that stuff matters because the truth of the the truth will always be that life is hard and full of disappointments amazing uh yeah thank you so much for listening to this episode this it was actually pretty f- I had a lot of fun with this episode. So hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to it as well. We'll be back next week with another new episode. Um, yeah, so check it out. Watch, go support cinema. Watch Killers of the Flower Moon when it comes out.